Could I thank our sponsor, Satara Dunumia, for sponsoring this event? We're really appreciative. And could I thank Arts Council England for its continued support? Now, just to introduce you, Brian Bilston, who will be talking with us first, who will be interviewed by Chloe Garner, our artistic director. Brian Bilston has been described as the poet laureate of Twitter. It's quite an accolade. His poetry career took off when he started posting on Twitter, and since then he has amassed over 65,000 followers. His works include the writing of the best-selling You Took the Last Bus Home. He is um, an important um, challenger of willfully inaccessible poetry, and his work marries the connection between a comedic tone and commentary on often serious contemporary issues. He is a pioneering experimenter with form, and some of his poems even appear in spreadsheets on Excel and Venn diagrams. So quite impressive. His latest book, Diary of a Somebody, promises to be an Adrian Mole with poetry. If any of you have read Adrian Mole, it is fantastic, and with poetry, it will be the next level. I thoroughly recommend you get it. Ladies and gentlemen, Brian Bilson. Good evening. Thanks very much for coming. Uh, I'm Brian Bilston, quite probably. Um, so I thought this evening I'd start by reading just a few poems from my first collection, You Took the Last Bus Home, um, before going on to read a few poems from my, from my new book. I think that way you can all chart my uh, development as a writer, from the uh, kind of early juvenilia of this, of this book through to the, uh, the maturity. It's very much the hallmark of my writing these days. So I'd like to start with one of my more uh, profound, uh, poignant poems, and it's called Frisbee. Frisbee whizzing through the air, above our heads, over the sand, into the water, onto the waves, out to sea. You cried a lot that day. Frisbee was a lovely dog. Um, I still think a lot about Frisbee and where he might be now. I also wonder about what might have happened if we called Frisbee by another name. Um, boomerang, perhaps. Um, but that's the thing about words. There are so many words to choose from. In fact, that's uh, one, of the, one of the issues for the modern poets, knowing which of the words to choose. Um, and this next poem is all about words and... Um, uh, for anyone who knows my poetry, you, you, you may know that I'm very interested in uh, form and structure. And uh, here's a good example of where uh, I do that, because not only is this poem about words, but I've actually used words to write it. <laughs> uh, it's called Roger's Thesaurus. In order to grow, expand, widen his lexicological corpus, Roger bought, acquired, purchased a synonymopedia. A, th a thesaurus. Soon, presently, without delay, he no longer ran out of things to say, speak, utter, express, articulate, give voice to, pronounce, communicate. This was all very well, fine and great, wonderful, super, terrific. <laughs> but his friends, mates, pals thought him boring, tedious, dull, soporific. So let this be a warning an omen, a sign, a premonition. It's all very well to show learning, education, knowledge, erudition. But here's a top tip, a suggestion, some advice, 
Don't ever let it stop you from being concise. <laughs> Brief, short, clear, pithy, succinct, compendious, to the point. Breviloquent. Um, so quite a few of the poems in this book were written uh, on my walk to work. Um, I could have sort of typed them into my phone and uh, whilst trying not to sort of bump into, into lampposts or kind of get run over... And um, generally, as a, as a methodology, that worked very well for me. Uh, although occasionally I did run into a few problems, not least with uh, technology itself. I would write a poem, I'd sort of hurl it onto, onto Twitter, and only then uh, would somebody point out to me the various mistakes and typos within my poem. And here's an example of one of those, quite why it ended up in this collection, I've got no idea. Uh, it's called Love Poem, written in haste, with autocorrect on. <laughs> Oh, what brave new worm is this that holds you, my sweet, darting love? I see you in the stairs that twinkle up in the heavy above. Your light shins down upon me and sets my heart on fur. You stir up my emoticons and fill me with dessert. I gazebo upon your lovely Facebook, your rainy nose, sweet unmissable, your blue greed eyes like limpet pools, your petty mouse juicy and kissable. Come with meat, angel of my drums. Hold my ham, journalist into the night, and together let us explore the worm over the horizontal and out of sigh. Um, so from time to time, I like to uh, write uh, erotic verse. And um, when this um, book first came out, the publisher wondered whether it should have one of those stickers uh, on it that kind of said, you know, uh, parental consent needed explicit lyrics contained within. Not because it actually contains any explicit lyrics. They just thought <laughs> it might sell more copies that way. <laughs> um, anyway, so here's one of my uh, more raunchy poems. Um, it's called Chore Play. Let's make love as soon as we are able. When the plates are cleared from the table, the dishwasher stacked neatly and the surfaces completely wiped clean of crumbs and yolk, we can leave the pans to soak. <laughs> Let's make our love fast and urgent. Once I've bought some more detergent. <laughs> because the backlog of laundry is simply quite extraordinary. We really should do it oftener. I'll also get some fabric softener. <laughs> Let our bodies writhe and manoeuvre when I've finished with the hoover. I know it's rather late, but the house is in a state and our schedule has got off kilter. I think we need to change the filter. Let our love be reckless, exciting, after I've done the recycling. The lilac sack securely tied and placed in the street outside, careful not to cause obstruction. And so begins the sweet seduction. There we go. Um, I'm just going to change tone a little bit now. Um, so the next poem I wrote uh, maybe about four years ago when um, watching my television, um, I saw kind of footage 
of um, these poor refugees drowning in the Mediterranean. And from the television, I then went to my social media feed and um, kind of saw uh, the various reactions um, from the people on Twitter, and some of which were uh, awful. They were appalling. You know, some people could, could, you know, showed no empathy, no humanity um, in terms of the comments they were writing about these these poor people who were just, you know, simply trying to, uh, you know, uh, you know, escape persecution and war in their own countries. So anyway, I wrote this poem um, to, uh, I guess, kind of make the point that there's more than one way to look at a thing. It's called Refugees. They have no need of our help, so do not tell me these haggard faces could belong to you or me should life have dealt a different hand. We need to see them for who they really are, chancers and scroungers, layabouts and loungers, with bombs up their sleeves, cutthroats and thieves. They are not welcome here. We should make them go back to where they came from. They cannot share our food, share our homes, share our countries. Instead, let us build a wall to keep them out. It's not okay to say these are people just like us. A place should only belong to those who were born there. Do not be so stupid to think that the world can be looked at another way. The world can be looked at another way. Do not be, just, do not be so stupid to think that a place should only belong to those who were born there. These are people just like us. It is not okay to say build a wall to keep them out. Instead, let us share our countries, share our houses, share our food. They cannot go back to where they came from. We should make them welcome here. They're not cutthroats and thieves with bombs up their sleeves, layabouts and loungers, chancers and scroungers. We need to see them for who they really are. Should life have dealt a different hand, these haggard faces could belong to you or me. So do not tell me they have no need of our help. Okay. So um, I want to read a few poems from my new book, uh, Diary of a Somebody. Um, so this is, um, this is a novel, but with uh, lots of poems in it. And the poems in this book are written by somebody who's called Brian Bilston. Um, uh, but just to be clear, any resemblance between the Brian Bilston of, uh, of, this, of this diary and the Brian Bilston you see in front of you now is, is entirely coincidental. Um, I mean, the Brian of this book uh, comes across as a rather shambolic figure, for instance. So, you know, just contrast that with who you see this evening. Um, I mean, just to illustrate... Um, how shambolic he is. Here's a poem he's written on January the 26th that's called This is not the poem that I'd hoped to write. This is not the poem that I'd hoped to write. When I sat at my desk and the page was white. You see, there were other words that I'd had in mind, yet this is what I leave behind. I thought it was a poem to eradicate war, one of such power, it would heal all the sores of a world torn apart by conflict and schism. But it isn't. <laughs> Lovers, I'd imagined, would quote from it daily. Mothers would sing it to soothe crying babies. And whole generations would be given new hope. Nope. 
I had grand aspirations. Believe me, I tried. Humanity examined with lessons applied. But the right words escaped me. So often they do. Have these in lieu. <laughs> um, the Brian of this diary, he goes to a monthly uh, poetry club. It's very much the, the kind of centre of uh, Brian's life. And it's at poetry club he encounters his sort of poetic nemesis, a chap called um, Toby Salt, who's kind of everything that Brian isn't. He's, um, he's successful. He's... He's critically acclaimed. He's often on the radio and television. And he's about to publish his first volume of verse uh, entitled This Bridge No Hands Shall Cleave with, um, <laughs> with a boutique poetry publisher called Shooting From The Hip. <laughs> um, so Brian starts to get increasingly jealous of uh, Toby Salt and his success, not least because Toby Salt's always sort of telling him about how he should be writing his poems. Um, but... Actually, it's not just, it's not just uh, Toby who's quick to dispense advice. Brian himself sometimes does it too. You can see in this next poem called How to Avoid Mixing Your Metaphors. It's not rocket surgery. <laughs> First, get all your ducks on the same page. After all, you can't make an omelette without breaking stride. <laughs> Be sure to watch what you write with a fine-tuned comb. Check and recheck until the cows turn blue. It's as easy as falling off a piece of cake. Don't worry about opening up a whole hill of beans. You can always burn that bridge when you come to it, if you follow where I'm coming from. Concentrate. Keep your door closed and your enemies closer. Finally, don't take the moral high horse. If the metaphor fits, then walk a mile in it. Um, and it's into Poetry Club that, um, that Liz walks in the following month, and um, she quickly becomes the, the subject of Brian's romantic interest and erotic daydreams. Um, an example of which, it's not a poem, we can find his diary entry for the 1st of May. Brian writes... I'd misused a semicolon. Liz kept me behind for corrective therapy. <laughs> this is a dream he's having, by the way. <laughs> I was to go through a set of uncorrected proofs for a new book in the Fifty Shades of Grey series. And for every mistake I found, she'd remove an item of clothing. <laughs> and for each one I missed, she'd put one on. I woke up just as she was putting on a third cardigan. over her blouse, tank top and pullover. <laughs> OK, I think that's enough from me. Thank you. Thank you very much. That was unbelievably entertaining. <laughs> Um, our next person is, of course, Nikita Gill. Uh, just a quick word about her. Nikita Gill is a feminist sensation with a huge online following of over 500,000 followers. Her, um, her, her work focuses more recently on foundational myths to our culture and looking at them through an eloquent feminist lens and providing wholesome, empowering um, archetypes for modern for women, womanhood. She has... Um, 
sorry, there's a hole in between the, the words just there. Um, her work champions the downtrodden and emphasizes particularly uh, emphasis on mental health and also and has helped women stand up against sexual exploitation. Her works include Fierce Fairy Tales and Wild Embers, which critics have described as burning with revolution. We look forward to her upcoming book, Great Goddesses, which is coming out this September. Ladies and gentlemen, Nikita Gill. This is this person he was talking about. Sounds really cool. It's not me. Um, uh, so I started writing poetry when I was like really young, but I had no idea that was what I was doing. Um, it was only later when one of my teachers actually said, actually, that's what you're doing, that I was like, oh, well, that, that makes sense. Um, fairy tales have been really foundational to who I am as a person. Um, and I think they basically raised me, a feral child that I was. Um, so I'm going to start by reading The Miller's Daughter. The queen addresses her firstborn after the fall of Rumpelstiltskin. Maybe magic ends with me, and it will never cross your path. But I want you to remember that survival is an art. The world is falsehood, so you must rely on your smarts. Princes fail all the time. Passion sometimes goes cold. And princesses on days of fortune can turn straw into gold. Kind kings become greedy, and dragons can have soft souls. Fairies cast the wrong spells, mermaids can be drowned. Goblins and trolls can be heroes, and giants can fall without a sound. And even the darkest things can be defeated once their names are spoken out loud. I should have gone first because I have nothing funny. <laughs> um, I think I'll save that one for the end because it's actually good. Um, <laughs> um, so I'm gonna I'm going to read this one in score trapped and it's quite this is quite a short poem. You may be gentle and sad now, girl, but you are still made from daring dreams wading through the silhouetted thoughts in your own hapless mind that harness you. He's mercurial with his love, but more so his violence. Knowing this need not be a ruinous thing, knowledge, after all, is a dark art, full to the brim with liberty, and it is yours for the taking. You were called Alice after your mother, who took on Jabberwocks and armies and queens and won. Your own Jabberwock awaits. Fearless already runs through your blood. Now, do it justice. <laughs> um, I really should have marked these out better. Uh, <laughs> So this one's called Lessons in Surviving Long-Term Abuse. She listened to the roar of the thunderstorm. She fell in love with the fragrance of petrichor. 
She searched the night sky for shooting stars. She planted flowers on her meager windowsill to brighten up her attic room every evening. She hid away books with words that would touch her slowly fraying soul. She took pleasure in the smell of fresh baked bread that she had just brought out of the oven. She made friends with all the mice who lived inside and all the birds who nested outside in little pots and shoeboxes she had given to them to reside. She placed her trust in these little things to keep her alive. And this was how Cinderella survived. <laughs> and this is, this is going to be my last one, because um, I get very stressed out reading in front of audiences. <laughs> but you, you guys have been so lovely. Thank you so much. Um, so this one is called Fable in Thermodynamics. The first law of thermodynamics states this, energy can neither be created nor destroyed, which is that everything around us is recycled energy. You, me, your dog, your cat, those we love and those we avoid. Which is to say that the energy that makes us is as ancient as the beginning of time itself, which is to say that our bones could have been made from the ashes of the Library of Alexandria, which is to say our sinews and our spine were crafted from the end of a hundred-year-old oak tree, and our smiles a comet, which is to say our hearts could be Achilles' spirit when he battled at Troy, bringing his enemies down with it. Which is to say, when we feel like life is overwhelming, we must remember that we are just sparks of energy borrowing skin, that no matter how much this pain feels everlasting, this is just the temporary fabric we are in. Thank you. a bit of a chat and then I'm going to open up um, to you guys to ask some questions as well. So, and um, I did say to the poets, if at any point you have um, some, uh, something sparks a, a, a poem that you've got, then you do feel free to read it. So we'll hope to have a bit of a relaxed atmosphere as we have our conversation. So um, thank you both so much. It's been really wonderful hearing you both really different. And um, it makes me think that um, Twitter and, Insta and Instagram um, have all sort of opened uh, poetry up in a way that you've not, you know, that both of you have been able to connect to audiences directly without the sort of traditional roots of publishers or um, uh, winning competitions or those kinds of things. So can you can you talk a bit about that and uh, how your sort of where you found your way into these, you know, writing on these platforms? You should go first. You've got more followers than me, so. <laughs> How many followers do you have? How many um, followers do you have? Well, 528,000 on Instagram, and right. over yeah. 100k on Facebook, 
Yeah, it's incredible numbers. I mean, I don't know if you guys are, uh, aware of, but the incredible numbers of readers. I'm you, convinced you know, it's my mum making multiple accounts. <laughs> 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 my grandmom's buying people off with cookies. It's like, yeah. um, but it, it, it's. It, I think the best thing about the fact that you're able to connect with people through poetry especially online, is that they immediately react to it. Now, that could be a good thing or a bad thing, but I generally find such positive, authentic, brilliant reactions that people just have going, oh my God, this reminded me of this thing which happened to me two days ago, which I've not told anyone about, but it really affected me so profoundly. Mm -hmm. And it's such an interesting reaction to have to something that you've written. And people <laughs> interpret things in their own way. They apply it to their lives. It's... Um, it's really, it's, it's such an interesting thing to be involved with social media that way because it's a very positive experience. Yeah. Um, and then you go on Twitter and everything's on fire. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's, that's, I kind of regard like Instagram and posting a poem a bit like a safe space because everyone who reacts is, is, is an empath in some way or the other. Yeah, I'd certainly agree that in, Instagram is a, is a is a much safer place than Twitter, um, but Twitter itself can be um, can be a marvelous place too. I mean, there are um, it can be can be an awful place, um, but you know I don't think because when I when I joined Twitter, actually I wasn't sharing poems. I was just making bad jokes and bad puns, like majority of people who do join Twitter at first, and uh, you know sort of tweeting them out to my three followers. Um, but then, actually, what you, what you then discover, though, is that actually people are posting really, really quite interesting, imaginative, creative stuff on there. Not necessarily poetry, but it might be, might be ideas, might be, might be arts, you know, might be all sorts of things. And so, um, I think, you know, I think for me, although I have been kind of writing uh, poetry outside of social media, I was never really doing anything with that. It was just sort of. Um, uh, uh, angrier, passive-aggressive poetry in my bedroom <laughs> since my teenage years. Um, but, uh, but Twitter became a kind of inspiration for me, not just because of the reaction that I might then get back, but actually as a source of, of ideas and um, you know, the kind of conversations you end up having with people, which is so different to the traditional poetry world where you know, you get, you know, a poet sits in, their, sits in their room, writes something, sends it off, and there's, there's no... There's no engagement with uh, readers directly until they come to events like this, mm. I guess. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and then um, even that's quite uh, different, isn't it? Because we ha still have this traditional structure where we have our stage and then we have the rows of seats. And even that is um, slightly has a sense of making um, barriers between... Maybe you could have audience members um, live tweeting. <laughs> yes, uh, are you yeah. live tweeting? Yeah. <laughs> that poem is crap. Yeah, brilliant. No, but Brian, your Twitter is like one of the few, you know, things which really makes me feel very inspired and it kind of always reminds me, like, there's so much fun in poetry as well. I think, like, I've been around poetry for so long that I've always thought it has to be like super duper serious and it has to say like this really serious thing and that's it. And like then I go on Brian's Twitter and like <laughs> it says these yeah. really serious things in a really fun way and it reminds me that you know literature can do so much and your work is so great. 
Oh, oh thank you. So, so you. <laughs> um, no, but it, it truly is. And, and uh, I think, you know, the other, the other thing about social media, well, particularly Twitter, is because it's, so it's mixed up with so many other things, like, you know, not least the news too. And I think um, it's, it can be, you know, poetry and social media can be such a force for good too because um, it's so... Poetry is quite a hard thing to access for people. You have, mm. to, you know, you have to, again, come to an event like this or you have to go into a bookshop and buy a, buy a book. And, um, you know, increasingly, um, you know, unfortunately, people, people don't necessarily do that kind of stuff. They're, you know, they're on their phones a lot. So actually bringing poetry to the places where people are looking, I mm. think, can, mm. can be really quite a powerful thing, particularly as well if it then links in with the kinds of things that are happening in the world whether they be serious or, or, or silly. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think a lot of your readers are, um, maybe this isn't right, tr young and female particularly, do you yes, think? And yeah, so there's absolutely. a sense where it's interesting, the contrast in the sense of your sort of hapless uh, character that you, a little bit that you talked about, and, and your sort of um, sense of these mythical and sort yeah. of fierce women. And... Um, but I think particularly for um, uh, young, young women, you know, that, that, that's something really important to have somebody like you writing. So can you talk a bit about that, about um, how that's uh, come about? That you, have, you, have you a sense of writing for women that way? Or? I, I guess I always, wh whenever I write, I write for, like, you know, 12-year-old Nikita or, like, 16-year-old Nikita or, like... 11-year-old Nikita, and oh my God, that girl needed guidance. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I kind of am like almost taking on this parental figure to my younger self going, you really shouldn't have done that. And these were the things you could have applied to like heal better and you shouldn't have, you know, and, and I think when I'm writing those things, which I am writing to my younger self and I share online, a lot of people kind of relate to them because I think we've all been through certain experiences in our youth, which you know, have, have changed us and molded us into people that we are. And for me, I guess it's young women who relate to them because I do talk a lot about um, body image issues and the body mm. dysmorphia that I went through and still go through and, you know, anxiety and eating disorders and specific issues that I had as a teenager and as a teenage girl, mm. um, especially going, growing up in India where we had quite a patriarchal culture. Um, you know, and kind of fighting against that and wanting to, you know, go, go ahead and be what you want to be. So it, it's, you know, I guess that's a certain, like young women relate to that and they, they find those words useful. And I'm really grateful to my audience because everyone's really kind, mm. you know. Mm. And I guess until recently, you know, that's, you know, teenage girls hasn't been a, an audience where poetry has really gotten to in any significant yeah. way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's strange because I feel like such, like teenage girls, like they, they devour poetry on such a profound level and you listen to them talk and they're talking about such deep, amazing, meaningful things. Um, so it's just strange that it hasn't reached them um, up until recently. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's it. And I mean, 
In the sense of, because uh, uh, none of us knew what um, Brian looked like uh, before <laughs> tonight. And we did wonder if he would come in disguise and what <laughs> that would be like. And uh, whether that, uh, yeah, is, is this really Brian? We're still not, not sure. But um, <laughs> so we think so. We hope. Well, no, actually, Brian's doing another performance this evening in Leeds. Uh, <laughs> right, he's on right now. They're so, all tweeting yeah. up in. <laughs> but I mean, it's. Um, in some senses, though, it seems like uh, when you're writing in, on social media on that sort of platform, there is there, you do have to be... Do you think you have to be honest or you have to use yourself, perhaps? Um, or do you think... Um, is it a... I mean, how is that... Do you feel you started off writing as more as yourself and have developed personas, or how has that kind of worked for you as well, time's gone on? Yes, the, well, the Brian persona... Well, the, the, that, that developed accidentally. I can't, right. it, it, was, it wasn't deliberate in any way. Um, I, I simply needed to um, understand what the young people at work were talking about when they talked about Twitter. So I kind of joined under a pseudonym uh, so they couldn't uh, see me spending all my time on social media when I should have been working. <laughs> um, so, uh, in fact, it was many years till they, anyone discovered that that was the case. Um, but it's... Um, but yeah, Brian does have a have a persona that is um, a little bit different to me, but not completely different. Um, he's 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 just like a um, he's just like a more rubbish version of me. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, all, yeah, many of my failings and hang-ups are slightly kind of heightened. Particularly the Brian of the of the diary, I should say. Mm. Um, they're just they're just kind of heightened. Because because it's it's funnier that way. Yeah, I mean it is um, wonderful. The um, office, the scenes in the office, uh, one of my particular favourites. When you're stuck in your what was it called? An offical. Yeah. yeah yes, really it's a yes, yeah, so, which is a thing. It's a cross between an office and a and a cubicle. <laughs> <laughs> Does anybody want to join in? Have we got any questions? I'm sure we will. So we've got a mic going round. So we've got a question at the front. Hi, uh, I just wondered, because you are communicating with the audience you wish to communicate with, how important books are to you? I mean, does it matter that you're published, your poems are published in a book form? Oh. <laughs> um, so I've been writing since I was a child, and one of my dreams when I was like a little girl in, in, in New Delhi um, was that I become a published author. Like I wanted to be published by a big publishing house. And I didn't exactly have small dreams. I was like, I'll be published by Penguin. That's who I'll be published by. And like, little did I know that many, many, many years later, that's who will publish me in the UK. Um, and yeah, that's, I guess it's, that's, that I would say that's a dream come true. Sometimes I don't believe this is my life. Um, but I think, when I publish online, and when I was publishing online, what I was looking for was just one person to hear me. That's it, that's all I wanted, was one person to hear me and go, do you know what, I, I felt like that too. Because when you go through depression or anxiety, and that's where a lot of my writing was coming from at the time, you feel completely isolated, and you're like this one person, you know, and then no one else is feeling like you do, and you know, you, you feel so small. And, when people started reacting and responding, 
I kind of felt like this community developed and I was no longer all alone. So I felt like that is the most meaningful thing I've ever done with my writing, was that community. And that'll always be. But it's great to be a published writer. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it is. And I mean, for me, the, the, the process of actually uh, being published was, in, was again an entirely accidental. I'd never really kind of set out. And despite actually having spent most of my life working with books, I'd never really thought about becoming an author. But, there's, but, but I think books are very important still in the whole scheme of things because you know, it's all very well to, um, you know, it's, it's a really joyful thing having a community on social media to share poems with, to kind of get feedback from, to get, you know, to, to talk to. Um, but on top of that, you know, I think the business of publishing something, rightly or wrongly, can also lend things um, some kind of legitimacy that, that, it, that social media can lack. Um, and I don't really kind of, I'm trying not to say that in a way that's make, in a kind of snobbish way. Um, but, you know, for, for me, the transition from social media to, to um, having poems in a book was, um, was quite an interesting transition because actually I looked at the things that I'd put up on social media, often, often very hastily, as, we, as one of the readings kind of showed. Um, but, uh, that process of then seeing words on a printed page was very different, and actually I ended up changing quite a lot of the stuff that I'd written. There were lines that weren't right, there were words that weren't right, there were poems that um, I, you know, just simply wouldn't work in, in a book format. You know, they were very much kind of ephemeral and of their time. Um, so it's absolutely got its place, and not least, um, you know, you can't, can't make any money from just posting up <laughs> poems uh, unless, unless you become an influencer. Oh, God. Um, which, which, is, which is something I'm considering quite seriously. <laughs> Can I ask a question as a direct follow-up to that? Is that all right? I, I was wondering about the issues of intellectual property. When you put something up there, and it's interesting because we all said we don't know what you look like. Are you really you? Because, be, be, because you had, you had existential question. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I mean, yeah. I, actually, actually, it's a more practical question mm. about intellectual property rights. You were saying about ideas that people put up; they're not just poetry, creative ideas, and it, mm. so on and so forth. And I just wondered if there were any kind of protocols or. Yeah, well, I mean, I think kind of. Um, there are plenty of people who, for instance, don't share poems uh, in a social media space, not least because um, you know, they, they worry about the fact that um, things getting so much attention and yet they've got no control over what then happens to it. I, I once wrote something about Donald Trump that um, the very next day it, it, it resurfaced as a meme and without, without me being credited at all, and um, it, it was kind of galling, but then I guess I've t personally I've taken a very liberal approach to that because without without sharing poems on social media, I wouldn't be you know I wouldn't be here now. So it's but it is it's a it is a difficult it's a difficult thing, and um, I'm probably 
I'm probably had to change my thinking a bit over time mm. that I don't post up everything I write now straight away. And in fact, Mm. Yeah, that's right. I, I mean, some of it, I hope, will eventually find its way still into printed publications, but I try and hold something back. I mean, are you the, are you the same? Well, a Kardashian stole one of my poems. <laughs> <laughs> so there was that. Really? Can you speak? <laughs> wow. Chloe Kardashian decided that she was going, okay, she's going through a really rough time and I get it, I get it, but come on, like Google's right there. It was a poem which is about six lines long. Just Google it, like, anyway, so she, she took one of my poems and she, this, is ex this is the reason why I got on Instagram in the first place, is that she took one of my poems and she shared it without credit. And then there were loads of, then a bunch of like American, like, what are they called? They're like those rags, the, the ones that talk about all the celebrities all the time, mm -hmm. the, the gossip magazines. Oh, yeah. They picked it up and they were like, Chloe's turned into a poet. Like, oh. it's all so sad. She's broken up with her partner. And she's like, this. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay. So we messaged her, I messaged her, my friends messaged her on Instagram, kind of going, can you not like do that, please? Because it belongs to someone else. She never responded, and I literally created an Instagram account to tell her to cut it out. <laughs> but yeah, like I, I, I did have to change my thinking on that as well. I think Margaret Atwood said, um, once you give it to the world, it's the words. Mm. You know, and you kind of have to deal with that. If you don't deal with that, there's no point in putting your poetry on, on social. Um, I've never had a Kardashian steal one of my poems. <laughs> <laughs> I quite like what <laughs> <laughs> have you? No, no, I said how about Brian, you said you had. Yeah, the, the Donald Trump one. Yes, um, but I guess, I, yes, I mean, there's certain things I write that I put up there that I don't, um, for, yeah, I don't really kind of feel hugely attached to in, in, some, in some kind of way. And uh, it's, it's still mine, so it, you know, if I wanted to, I could, you know, I could then put that in print that's that's fine it's just like going to the people out there i think oh i'll nick that and i'll, I'll put that and pretend it's from me but that's yeah. just yeah. some people yeah. and there must be a sense of different readers anyway in, on different so you can have them in both places well, what's nice is when people realize uh because now i'm in, in the, i think brian you are as well in the position where people go actually no that's a brian wilson poem because that's mm. a very specific style or people see my work and go no that's nikita gill's work so if people try to push it off Mm. as their own. They're, they're not usually successful. Mm. Mm. Yeah, you've got an army now. That can <laughs> <laughs> Have got any, any other questions? We've got a question at the back there. Oh, okay. No, I had one here. Um, this was confusing for a Star Trek fan because Cardassians are these really horrible lizard-type characters. <laughs> and, and that's what I thought you meant. It's not that confusing. But I was a little bit taken aback by what both of you said, because admittedly it was a long time ago, but I really, really remember being a teenage girl. We just devoured poetry. We wrote poetry, we read poetry, we put poetry under our pillows, we sighed over poetry. What has changed in the last 40, 50 years? Um, I, 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 admittedly, we didn't have any money, so we didn't buy any. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, I'm, from, I'm from India, and I know that my classmates, when I was growing up, none, all of us were teenage girls, and we weren't. I mean, 
they weren't at the time. I began reading poetry when a teacher, a really good teacher, introduced me to it. And for a very long time, poetry for us was very much written by, and I don't know why in India we were studying like Wordsworth and, and John Keats. And, and it was really hard to, I, I like Keats, but it was very hard to relate to a lot of the words because they were like, you know, men from 200 years ago. And, and finally I found Maya Angelou and Audre Lorde and that we would sit on the phone and read to each other and stuff like that. But it still wasn't something which was pushed as much towards teenage girls in our experiences as much as poetry these days is. Like you have people like Rupi Kaur who literally writes exactly what so many you know, teenage girls are feeling at that point, which is why she's so big amongst you know, teenage girls. And she just sat in her bedroom and wrote this beautiful book to cope with her trauma. And I think that's what it is. It's, it's the trauma poetry, which, which teenage girls kind of go through on such a level, being written by another woman who was at the time a teenager, being published. So I think that's what it is. But it wasn't, when I was young, it wasn't a thing. Reading poetry wasn't such a big thing. Um, well, I, I, I do also think it's that, it's that thing of immediacy, isn't it? Because mm. you, know, it, you find poetry now amongst um, you know, in your in your daily life, when you're mm. looking at you know seeing what your friends are up to and, and other things, there mm -hmm. you know the, there's poetry there, which which is which is which is a new thing. Mm. You know, poetry's kind of come to you rather than you having to go out yeah. to find poetry. That's it. That's it. That's what it is. Uh, what other questions? Yeah, loads of questions. That's great. Um, I was just wondering what you um, sort of what your line is about um sort of <laughs> being vulnerable on the internet about especially if you're writing about personal subjects or you know a, a worse version <laughs> of yourself like where do you um i mean how do you deal with being vulnerable in that way when talking about you know when writing poetry about your own experiences um and where do you sort of stop um and and make sh you know keep things private start that one <laughs> okay well um i think i suspect it's a bit easier for me because um generally there's not a huge amount of personal stuff within most of what i write and um and also then i've got the barrier of of brian having a uh, a kind of slightly more mysterious profile so i can always pretend if brian gets some flack then actually that's brian it's not me um uh but um you know, there have been. You know, I have kind of written certain things. The more the more political poems that I write, um, the uh, bigger the conversation that then, particularly again on Twitter, that may uh, kind of emerge. So I wrote something quite a few years ago, uh, a poem called "America Is a Gun," which was really based around um, uh, a, a, I think that I think was it Jeb. Bush had, had tweeted a photo of his handgun and he, he captioned it with, with the phrase, my America, I think that was it. And um, it was you know, just kind of appalling. But uh, Twitter being such a kind of, um, uh, the kind of place which takes the mickey out of things, quite serious things, um, it then led rise to all, all lots of people um, posting up photos of all sorts of things like, you know, like, um, a cup of tea and saying, you know, my England, you know, that, that, that kind of thing. <laughs> and so the poem kind of stemmed from there. So it was kind of meant in that Twitter environment, but then um, 
obviously, uh, it wasn't very long until uh, various kind of hard-right Americans um, uh, kind of got hold of this. And uh, it's, it's, you know, the kinds of things you then get, the kinds of messages you then get sent as a response, you know, like... Um, I can't, you can't take them too seriously because you know, the, the people there sort of, you know, with their kind of death threat, threats and all of that stuff, um, it's really quite, um, it really can be quite upsetting. So I, I just, I think I just switched social media off for a couple of weeks and then went back to it and, and, and then realised actually those people from outside of my space, my community, I just, just ignore, ignore those people. I don't, I don't get involved in, uh, in spats of any way, you know. Um, I get abuse, but I don't rise to it. It's not, not helpful for me. I, I, I have barriers, certain barriers. And I think one of the barriers for me is that I don't share anything really private, like my partner's name and, you know, the area where I live, there are very few photos of it out there. In fact, for a long time, there were no pictures of me out there. And then I decided to become a published author or publishing came to me and then I had to do things like these events. Um, but I quite like that anonymity because then the poems could be from literally anyone, right? So I started writing horror recently under an anonymous name. And that's been, it's, it's been really nice because there's none of the, um, the expectations. Um, but the, the vulnerability as a, as a writer, you kind of make that decision, especially as a poet. You make those choices um, every day to be vulnerable because if you're not vulnerable, the poem doesn't sound honest. Um, when you're writing a really personal piece on trauma, how do you write that without complete and utter vulnerability? You just can't. So you kind of take the you kind of take the heat a little bit. Like I, I get I get quite a bit of heat on some of my opinions. Um, about like you know, please treat survivors as people. Apparently, that's really controversial. Um, <laughs> have some empathy. It was again very controversial. Um, you know, just be kind to people. And I suppose, like a couple of years ago, you'd say that stuff on the internet, and you'd just be called a hallmark card, right? But these days, you say things like that, and it's like, oh, you're taking away my rights. I should be able to be mean to anyone I feel like. How dare you? And yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, freedom of speech, but no like consequences to it. Don't do that. Um, but yeah, it, it, it just is a decision you take. You have to be vulnerable and to, for people to identify with what you're saying. Um, following on, I suppose, from what you've been saying about um, what you've been doing, um, do you find that, I might even be a devil's advocate here, uh, do you find that um, humor uh, in poetry as sort of bottom of the pile as far as the hierarchy is concerned. Um, uh, there's, uh, yes, We're so, all sorry about this. Here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know exactly what you're getting at. I do, I do. And, uh, and it's kind of long been said, and there are, um, you know, many poets who've written um, verse that contain humour that I feel historically have felt. Um, marginalized in some way I think it depends where it, it, it depends where you um, you want to gain acceptance I suppose so uh, you know one of the one of the jo most joyful things for me on Twitter is when I get people who say um, 
I didn't think I liked poetry, or I've not, mm. done, I've not studied poetry since school, but actually, I, you know, I didn't think I liked poetry, but I like your stuff. And, um, and that, to me, is great. Mm. And um, so, to me, that more than counteracts the fact that, uh, that, you know, that generally, I guess, kind of outright comic verse um, doesn't tend to um, be critically acclaimed by, you know, by the academy or, you know, by the, um, I guess, in a more kind of academic sense. But I'm not really, for me, that, I'm not interested in, in that. You know, mm -hmm. I, I want to write things that, um, that amuse me, that I have kind of, um, you know, fun and excitement in writing and that um, amuse other people. Um, and I think, you know, the, again, social media is, is a good outlet for that stuff in a way that when you're reliant on, as many poets used to be, sort of entering poems for competitions and often just not being, not, not getting a play. I think Wendy Cope was really good on this. You actually wrote a poem about, um, about this very subject uh, that's simply being kind of dismissed because it was so-called kind of light verse. Um, but, um, you know, for me, that's not, you know, that's not been a, that's not a problem and nor do I, kind of want that sort of acclaim necessarily. Because I, you know, I think there's too much, there's far too much uh, snobbery within, uh, you know, the poetry world. And um, it's got room for all sorts of different kinds of, you know, verse, and which I kind of enjoy myself. You know, I don't, you know, I don't restrict my reading just to, um, you know, writers of, of humorous verse. Um, I actually... I've always thought that writing humor in poetry or any form of humor is one of the most difficult things to do. I've always thought like writing serious verse, you know, we all can write serious verse, but to be able to make people like laugh and to like, that, that requires a certain amount of wit and intelligence and, you know, really being able to understand people. So I've never really understood that snobbery against like, you know, Yes, we want to know how you do it. So yeah. well, see, I, see, I don't really know how to write serious verse. I'm in awe of you know of you know of the kinds of things that you write because um, uh, sometimes I do sit down and think, right, I'm going I'm to right, write something serious and profound today, and uh, then I realise I've written a joke, <laughs> and it's oh, shit. I, don't, I didn't really want to do that. And um, you just describe my mornings. <laughs> Perhaps we've got, to, it'd be nice to hear perhaps one or two poems again from each of our poets before we finish. Does everyone agree with that? Finish with the poem. So I think that means we've probably got time for maybe one more question um, and then we'll uh, finish with some poems. Very hard to decide. Hello. I'm kind of following on from the last question. Just wondering what, who are your favourite poets and, or if that's too hard a question, what are you reading and enjoying at the moment? <laughs> it's always it's always hard like just last week I was at an interview and someone was like tell us all about the people you read and I went completely blank <laughs> I was like I don't know um no but the, the, like I've uh, I'm writing a play for the end of this year um and it's about the Krampus the Christmas demon um so I've been reading a lot of fantasy so I've been reading you know your George R.R. R. Martin and Tolkien and Neil Gaiman and and I've been reading all that because I think fantasy and world building is really hard. Um, and to be able to do that on stage is even harder. So that's who I'm reading right now, you know. Um, 
poetry-wise, there's like Dinesh Smith, Kavi Akbar, um, um, amongst the uh, contemporary Ocean Wong. You know, we've got like such great contemporary poets um, right now. And then you've got like, you know, Shel Silverstein and Brian Bilston <laughs> and like, so I, I try to read quite diversely because I think like, like you said, there's so many different types of poetry and there's room for everyone at the table. And it's always good to read diversely and like, you know, appreciate everything for what it is. Yeah, so I'm reading right now, everything, so. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just read Nikita Gill. That's all I, pretty much, yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, uh, I mean, in terms of um, uh, poets, that, I guess kind of poets that I kind of have gone, go back to, um, then, uh, actually, I first, I first really got into poetry when I was forced to study uh, Philip Larkin for A-level. And I loved, um, I, you know, I loved the, his, his Wits and Weddings in particular. And um, because for me, it took the right boxes of, um, of being uh, funny in places, but also bleak, which is, you know, just like a, as a teenager, that was a winning combination for me. <laughs> um, so uh, often, but I, I guess in terms of poets that have inspired the kind of things that I write, then... Uh, he was here last week, Roger McGough. I've always been a, like a huge fan of him and, the, you know, in fact, all the, the Mersey poets. Um, people like um, uh, Stevie Smith and Muriel Spark, their kind of verse as well. Uh, Ivor Cutler, I guess people with slight, slight kind of offbeat sense of humour. I realise that all the people I've said, uh, apart from Roger, and who's obviously still with us now, are going back a few, few years, but uh, I still kind of get inspiration from that. That kind of writing. That's great. Well, we'll have some poems then from each of you, if that's okay. One or two poems to finish. Should I start this time? Because then you can like make everyone laugh. <laughs> 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 <Very well. Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> it was really hard following that Sorry. up. <laughs> it's really hard. <laughs> um, right. Should I should I read one from Great God? I've never read Great Goddesses out loud. Should I read yeah. like one from Great Goddesses? Okay. Goddesses. This is one, this one's called Athena Rises. Her heart wears wisdom skin and wit warm splendor, the echoes of a war cry holding its four chambers together. A manifestation of wisdom and her mother's ambitions, gray eyes like flashing steel, bringing her father to contrition. She rises over Olympus on a night of victory dancing. She rises like the blood moon in a sky of a thousand stars bursting. Um, I am, I'm gonna read, actually, I'm gonna read about my, my actually my favorite goddess, which is Hera. So this is called Hymn for Hera. She finds it difficult to cry. Rage suppresses her tears. She has shed her girlhood, traded her emotions for power. It is easier to be hated than to face not being loved. Easier to be angry than accept sadness. But we all have to let the sorrow out somehow. So she takes the souls of the clouds and ties them to her own. 
Every time Zeus and she fight, the clouds, like her heartache, overflow. Zeus may have been the god of lightning and of thunder, but it was Hera who invented the rain. Um, okay, I'll, maybe I'll read a, a poem of two of um, fictional Brian's um, obsessions, uh, one, one of which is, is, is books. So uh, Brian in the diary uh, has a kind of strange relationship with books in that, um, actually maybe it's not that strange, but he, uh, he, he often goes into a bookshop with the intention of buying a book for his monthly book group, and he always kind of walks out with about 12 books, um, none of which he ever seems to read. Uh, they just sort of pile up in his house. And uh, so here's a poem that's uh, written um, from the perspective of, of his bookshelves. Um, so the books on his shelves are having a conversation about Brian's neglect of them. It's called On the Shelf. They got straight to the heart of the matter. It's no fun here anymore, remarked Bleak House, sadly. <laughs> he makes me so angry, whined the grapes of wrath. <laughs> I've never felt so alone, said 100 years of solitude, <laughs> for whom reality had long since lost its magic. <laughs> he couldn't even remember my name, the idiot, muttered a voice from the Russian literature section. <laughs> That's because he avoids you like the plague, said another. Savre, came a cry. It is like I do not exist. <laughs> Two shells below, and Atlas shrugged. <laughs> Meditations of Marcus Aurelius thought for a while. <laughs> but why on earth doesn't he read us, he pondered. Perhaps he doesn't have time because he spends so much of it in a bookshop, suggested Catch-22 ruefully. <laughs> He just needs something to sink his teeth into, said Dracula. <laughs> Let's not give up on him yet. It was Brave New World. Who knows what the future may hold? <laughs> After some persuasion, they agreed to give him one last chance. Be quiet, cried Waiting for Godot with great expectation. <laughs> I think that's him coming now. Okay. And... And, uh, yeah, Brian's other obsession is, is music, so um, every, the 27th of every month he goes out with a friend to see some live music, and in the course of the book they go and see uh, singer-songwriters, they go and see a, a math-punk band, they go to a, a, a weekend-long festival of tribute artists, etc. <laughs> and, anyway, this is, um, this is kind of Brian's prayer to um, popular music. It's called Lord's Prayer. Our Father John Misty, which art in Hanson, <laughs> hallowed be thy James, thy Kingston come, thy will I am. <laughs> in earth, wind and fire as it is in heaven 17. Give us green day our motorhead, and forgive us our travises, as wad forgive them that travis against us, and lead us not into the temptations, but deliver us from emo. The ride is the King Crimson, to Pow and the Gloria, for Everly and Everly. Shame <laughs>
<laughs> <laughs> Woo.